You are now listening to The Seedcast. This week on the Seedcast, Andrew Nault and Julia Luft welcome artist and illustrator Ariel Tobing to the show. Based out of Philadelphia, Ariel's freelance work is predominantly set within Philly's restaurant and food industry. His personal work tends to be more autobiographical, centering around the storytelling principles of images from his own life to amplify and embody his own feelings of loss. Without further ado, episode 8 with artist and illustrator Ariel Tobin. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Seedcast, everybody. It's Andrew Nault sitting across from Julia Luft. Hello. And today we are very excited to have artist Ariel Tobing with us. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys. Hell yeah. So, um, I think initially we'll just start off with... Uh, you know, how you got started and when you started taking your work seriously? I guess, I mean, so my dad grew up like studying painting mm-hmm. and uh, moved to the U.S. to study advertising. He uh, went to La Jolla uh, Academy of Art in San Diego, um, mm-hmm. which I think now is part of the Art Institute, if it's still open. But yeah, so he was always like doodling on like junk mail and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. I was kind of exposed to art via that route um I guess I started taking it like seriously seriously like around the time of like middle school high school Mm -hmm. so there was um a pretty well-known arts middle school and high school uh called Cab Calloway School of the Arts in Delaware uh, that I tried to get into for middle school but uh my application wasn't accepted um they do like the whole like you submit a portfolio right um, kind of deal yeah yeah Holy and they shit. have like a you know they sit down all the kids and set up like a still life table and have you like do the Damn. thing yeah <laughs> and it's so a, it's intense a, so young yeah it was pretty crazy i mean it's a public school too which is nice like that's cool yeah you don't pay to go there but you, there is a sort of audition process wow. i didn't get in mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I bounced around from middle school to middle school and then in high school I got accepted into uh, the Charter School of Wilmington, which is like a, a math science focused like college prep school. It's very different uh, than an yeah, art. Very <laughs> yeah, very different. Yeah, yeah. But it uh, it actually shares it shares a building with uh, the art school that I had been trying to get into. Um, so because of that, I was able to like cross register in both schools. So I did like my general curriculum at like the math science C school, and then I right. did. Um, all my free periods at the art school just like oh, spent them in the studio cool. yeah um, and then I applied to mass art got in and then now I'm here I guess <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah so we went to school together mm-hmm. and uh, I only had one class with you and I feel like your aesthetic was I it's been consistent since I've seen your work So did you arrive at that pretty early on or is that something that you developed over time? Um, So we had editorial together. Yeah. 
I took that class time. way prematurely. It was super <laughs> yeah. intimidating. Were you uh, you were a sophomore? I was a sophomore. I had no business being. And in that was class. I a senior? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Aesthetic-wise, I think my process has been pretty consistent since I was young. I mean, that's I've, crazy. I've never been very. I don't really care for drawing from life all that much mm-hmm. and I don't okay. I don't keep a sketchbook even as a kid I never really was able to like I would get like five pages into a sketchbook and ditch it mm-hmm. um, my process was always like very photo based um, mm-hmm. which branched into two directions after a certain point so like junior year I started doing like the uh, the more stippled ink drawings right but then I also had this whole like digital side of my practice which is mostly what I did for editorial just because it makes more sense regarding like the time constraints mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but both of them start with like pretty thorough like mocking up in Photoshop working with different photographic uh, resources and then just going from there they just diverge into one is a very slow hand drawn process and one is like kind of a fast and hard like pick the color block out shapes and then right. go on from there so I guess the aesthetic has kind of changed over time, but like the foundations of the thinking are kind of the same. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Forgive me if I'm assuming, but it seems like those two avenues are kind of molding together in a lot of the work that I've seen online. Like you're combining the two, the stippling and the digital work. Yeah, it goes it goes back and forth. Um, so I'll like pretty often like take a scan of uh, something I intended to only exist as a physical piece and then just like kind of repurpose it later on, mm-hmm. even a couple years down the line. Or I'll take like what was originally a digital illustration and then use that as the basis for like a physical painting. Mm-hmm. Usually that process takes place after there's like a pretty significant amount of time between uh, me like finishing a piece. Like I usually like let it right. sit for a while and then like maybe a couple years later I'll be like, oh, that was that's still cool but like i could do it in this way and sure. and uh make it work how much do you let stuff evolve like do you so i don't know i feel like with the institution that we both came from of mm-hmm. like starting with a thumbnail and being very intentional with every decision and having it be concrete from the get-go do you generally work that way or do you let things evolve uh things change pretty uh, pretty drastically i mean <laughs> Nowadays, so I do I do some commissioned illustration work still, um, mm-hmm. and that is definitely I I keep more towards the you know bang out some thumbnails, give the client a couple yeah. options, pick yeah. one to develop, and we just let it run from beginning to end, and mm-hmm. then finish it as quickly as possible. Because like realistically speaking, I'm not charging the rates that I should be charging. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I try to like, all right, let me wrap up this job in like two and a half hours, start to finish and like make <laughs> it worth my money. Yeah, um, right. But the rest of the time, like if you do follow my work, you'll see the same piece pop up over the course of years. Um, mm-hmm. So they do like pretty drastically evolve. So like I have pieces that I'm working on now that were in a show as finished pieces for sale like in 2016. I guess 2017. Um, but mm. after the show ended, like I pulled them off the wall, put them to the side, and then eventually I like started working back into them, kind of make them fit with like the kind of train of thought that I've been running with recently. So yeah, the, I keep my process pretty fluid um, in general. If it's not like client-based work, I right. there's no solid end date. If it's in my possession, it's it's open to be worked on. 
Mm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Allowing the refreshment and revisit, you know, I feel like is uh, something that a lot of people probably wouldn't welcome in that kind of way. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, I mean, one of like the significant, I guess, problems I had when I was in school was like the professors who knew me best always were like, like, you're going to overwork this, like, don't mm. overwork this. Now the overwork is kind of a part of like a years long, like accumulation process of ideas. Mm. Um, part of that is just me being stubborn and not wanting to like call it quits yeah. um, and just yeah. move on to the next thing. Because mm. I think usually by the time I decide to like even start on a piece, I'm pretty devoted to the idea at least. Mm. So if the execution doesn't pan out, that's fine. But I know that the underpinnings of like the, the idea or like the general aesthetic or whatever of the drawing or the painting is, is pretty solid. So I'm willing mm-hmm. to like work on it for a few years rather than scrap it and start over or work on something new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do the ideas come to you? Do they come to you as written verbal concepts or do they come to you as like materiality or like what is the focus or like the driving force of the ideas usually? It's usually a combination of word and image. Like I usually mm-hmm. don't, I mean, I think pretty much never, I never start a piece unless I already have a title for it. Mm. Um, so usually what I do is like all of my paintings begin with photos, like I said, but they're never like reference photos mm. um, in my personal work, at least. Like I, I take like archival photos from my own life, vacation photos, things like that. And like when I'm going through them, I'll be like, oh, like that's a solid little like chunk of this image that I can use maybe later, whatever, and I'll put it aside. Right. And then as I'm uh, going through my life and like reading academic writings or, or novels or whatever, or watching movies, listening to music, I'll jot down snippets of lyrics or uh, a couple sentences out of a paragraph or a turn of phrase that I really like. Mm-hmm. And eventually these two lists, like a list of images and a list of words ends up kind of meeting up. Um, and I think when, when I find a pairing that works, that's when I'm like, okay, I'm going to start to put pen to paper and, and run with it. Yeah. I've never, uh, I've never worked kind of from a, a backwards way like that. Like you have like the title, which is kind of like when you finally title something, it feels finished in my brain. Right. That's pretty interesting. Do you feel like it affects the way that you approach the creative part of it, like the creation aspect of it? Or, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it would, it's almost like naming a child or something more than like naming a painting. Like because it comes in right. the beginning, it's like you name the thing. You've right. already got this weird attachment to it. You don't know what it's going to develop into, but mm-hmm. you know you want to develop it. Mm-hmm. I guess that's how I would put it. So I don't, yeah, I don't really that's know cool. if it's, I don't know if there's like fundamental differences between how I like would go start to finish with a piece and how someone else would. But mm-hmm. yeah. But you, do you usually approach them pretty similarly, like the processes? Yeah, have? yeah. It's pretty, you know, pretty much a routine at this point. I mean, like I said, I'm fluid with the start and finish. I'm fluid with, the process as well. So right. it's like mm-hmm. sitting down and writing a list of like turns of phrase, for example, isn't like a, a drill or like a rote part of my process that I like make an effort to do. It's kind of just like, right. oh, like I read books. I like this. I'm going to write it down. Yeah. Right. Are you regimented in the way that you work like outside of the ideation, but in the execution of it as well? I guess so. I mean, it usually starts with bringing imagery into Photoshop. I usually kill all the color, work from black and white. Cause I think like, I don't know, I'm pretty adamant about like, if you have like the value structure down 
and it reads successfully as an image in just black and white, then whatever you do with color later is just, it's going to, it's going to be fine. You know, Mm -hmm. you're going to be able to figure out a way to make it work. Yeah. So I'll bring imagery into Photoshop, mess around with it digitally. Like I said, I don't really keep a sketchbook. So I guess like this would be the sketchbook component Mm -hmm. of it. um, Like the workshopping. And then I'll transfer the image onto paper um, either with a projector or just like grid it out. And then mm. usually start with the stippled ink portion. Really pretty much let that run start to finish and then take a look at the piece and see where I want to make changes mm. and stuff. I mean, I think the biggest part of like my process that has changed uh, post-school is like the emphasis on materiality and the way I guess I allow it to uh, work with my process. So like... Mm. In school, I was always working on like very pristine, nice, like clean sheets of paper. Like, really wanted to get everything right the first time because like, yeah. right. the stippled thing, it's like there's it, you can have take backs, but it's going to show. You can right. like scrape off things. Not and very stuff. forgiving. <laughs> yeah, but now it's just like I I kind of got to a point where I'm like, oh, I make a mistake, whatever. I'll just like rip off a piece of paper, mm-hmm. glue it on, keep going, or I'll just mm. like rip that part of the drawing off. Mm. Um, right, and then like. Obviously, like you end up with this very textured, kind of beat up sort of piece of paper at the end that is a culmination of like the ideas that work and the ideas that didn't, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really getting like the feeling of time in the final product. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm like much more hesitant to make just like a pristine, clean, well executed image now. Right. Uh, I think there's like a lot to be said for like seeing how something was constructed, you know, seeing some of the draft lines and stuff. Right. Um, I saw a show at the Met Breuer that was like a show of unfinished masterworks, which mm, I thought was really cool. interesting. So you'll have like a Gustav Klimt painting that's like a third of the way done, but then you see all the draft lines and that's so edits and things like that. And like, honestly, a lot of those pieces were better than some of the finished pieces I've seen from yep. those very same artists. Um, interesting. So I, I do think there's something compelling about seeing like the bones of a drawing. Uh, the bones of a painting, and all the mistakes, all the you know procedural yeah. kind of things that come with it. I mean, people I think are beginning to forget this a little bit more because, especially now, like we mostly interface with art through like a phone or a screen or something. Right. So you lose right. the tactile element of it. Like, sure, you can maybe see brushstrokes and get an idea about texture, but like, I think the more that those kinds of tactile elements come into play and kind of interrupt the way that you read the image, the more time-based something like a painting can become. Right. Um, you know, you see it in uh, on a glossy magazine spread, you just read it, you read the image, and, right. and that's right. pretty much it. And then you can search to find, like, the little handcrafty sort of elements to it. But when you see it in person, you, you can kind of read the whole thing and, like, zero in on a corner and, like, kind of see, you know, wrist movement or, like, oh, this is more totally. of an arm gesture or something like that. Right. And it becomes time-based in that regard. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's time based, and then also the the human element of it is visible as well. Where mm-hmm. it's not, I I feel like digital has, I it's it's kind of distilled a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I I think mm-hmm. that there are some people that use the medium in a way that is very characteristic of the way that they work, and you can see the idiosyncratic mark making in digital work sometimes, but I feel like there's so much work out there that people are using digital to just sort of use as like a, almost like a a cookie cutter, one size fits all, like 
uh, it looks clean because it's digital. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know? I mean, it's easy to lose a lot of, yeah, your identity to like the program that you're using mm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is why I think that your work is sort of special in that regard because it it very much looks like your work even when it is digital. And I think that that's like, do you think about that when you're working digitally or does it kind of just translate itself? I mean, I try not to think about like what, what does like my work, I guess, right. look like. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I kind of just make it. And I think, I don't know, over time, like the more opinionated you get and the more like picky you get about even other people's work, that'll filter into your own. And then you end up with, something that just consistently looks like you, yeah. I guess. I mean, it's it's kind of like, even if like certain musicians can cover another musician, but you can still tell right. it's it's them, you know? Right, um, right, right, right. Yeah, so I think like those qualities just kind of happen over time. I don't know, mm. I try not to think about that. Do you have a, a creative routine for your day? Like, do you work during the same time or? Um, do you work every day or do you just kind of no, I definitely don't work every day. I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I go very long swaths of time without drawing or making anything at all. I mean, like it varies, but like usually it's like I have like five or six months of like pretty intense like productivity, like kind of mm-hmm. put my head down, like kind of go and go and go and like churn things out. And then I'll have like six months where I, really don't want to draw or make anything at all and I'm mm-hmm. kind of just reading and like living my life you know whatever um yeah and I definitely do not draw every day I will say like I'm probably more creative or more loose or I don't know my thinking is a little bit more free at night I feel like right like mm-hmm. I, I like working during the day but I'm not like coming up with anything groundbreaking in terms of like shifting the direction of a piece or whatever. Right. Like if I'm working during the day, it's usually like, okay, I have this, this, and this that I want to like get done by 8 p.m. and I'll just like crank that out. And then like night comes, I'll like reevaluate what I'm looking at. And then, mm. mm-hmm. yeah. So Andrew and I actually met working at a coffee shop. And right. I feel like kitchen work and service work, for some reason, it speaks to creatives. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to know if you could speak to that at all if you think that that is you know a a specific draw to it or if if that is a correlation you see i mean i think a lot of it is like low barrier for entry definitely helps (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's kind of just like oh you you were able to show up on time and you're you know like great cool (laughs) like you know like we're not gonna pay you a ton but like here you go take an apron (laughs) yeah exactly Uh, i mean that's definitely what it was for me i mean like i started off as like a dishwasher just because i was completely fucking broke when i moved to philly (laughs) like i didn't have a job for like six months Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean i yeah i think it's uh, really what it is is like pretty solid guarantee of like what kind of money you're going to be able to bring in low barrier for entry semi-flexible hours sometimes Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. it's like low commitment it lets you put your mind elsewhere for me i I mean i love it because it just means i don't have to worry about selling paintings at all Mm -hmm. like i've completely just like pricing whatever i don't really care like i had a show i sold a couple which was great but like I I really like having like a steady income. I feel yeah. like, you know, like that's not tied to my art because it, I don't know, any additional 
stress or like outside factors like changes what you make for sure Mm -hmm. yeah definitely yeah so Uh, it's kind of more about the freedom that the everyday thing yeah for sure i mean i think even like creative people like if they were offered a job that was like oh we're gonna give you 75 grand a year $40 an hour sit in this cubicle, but then you got the weekends or whatever to make your work. They would take it if it was within their reach (laughs) or within their skill set. I think most, a lot of it is just like to get good at like this art thing. You kind of, you got to put a lot of hours into it. Maybe you don't develop a bunch of other skills and then all of a sudden you're in a job market that's like oversaturated (laughs) and then you're like okay well i mean people need to get fed people need dishes washed whatever at least i can afford my rent off of this and still make what i make yeah absolutely yeah yeah I got so scared when quarantine hit because i was working at a bakery and they closed and i was like oh shit i don't have any skills (laughs) Uh, yeah i nope i don't know i have no idea what i'm gonna do yeah (laughs) it's tough i mean I don't know. Ideally, like a lot of countries will have like subsidies for creatives um, to kind of help them because they understand that like cultural contributions are very rarely like compensated in the way that they should be. Right. Right. Um, For sure. I mean, like even now it's like people aren't, it's not like people are in the habit of like buying their music or like paying for every movie or whatever. You know, it's like even I am like, you know, I understand a lot of work goes into making Photoshop. Do I, pay I don't want to pay for Photoshop? <laughs> like, you know, have I ever? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I do, like, from my experience, I do feel like, honestly, it's just a time filler for me. And it's like, it's a refreshing experience to be somewhere where progress is being made that I don't feel like my life depends on it. You know what I mean? I can, like, yeah. go and accomplish something and get a little bit of money for it and then. I have the freedom to walk away from it and do whatever I want afterwards. Yeah. Which is like pretty cool. I mean, everyone wants to get paid for their work. Right. But Mm -hmm. like sometimes you also need some like real life, normal shit to make cool stuff, Yeah, you know, or just like the feeling of be able to, you know, you can check something off a list. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. Like I said, I was, I was unemployed for six months when I first, uh, first moved to Philly. And like, at first I was like, yeah, let me lean onto this job search super heavy. But then after a while, you're like, oh, fuck it. Like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna coast on whatever little money I have and just like focus on other things. So I was like, I was living with uh, my homie Zach Kamisic, who also went to Mass oh, Art. Yeah. Um, he was doing his uh, second year of the grad program at PAFA um, mm-hmm. for painting. Um, so he would be going to his studio every single day, and I'll just be sitting there unemployed as fuck, like. <laughs> <laughs> fresh out of art school didn't really know what i was doing so i'm like okay i gotta like try to work hard he's working hard i gotta try to work hard mm. but like i sit there i like watch a couple lectures i like re- try some new things with drawings and stuff and like on those days where you really don't make any significant headway you really feel like oh man yeah. it hurts or like oh, if, if you get like four <laughs> of those days in a row like that's rough which is where like yeah, yeah. the kitchen yeah. thing comes in it's like I did all the dishes. Sick. Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've I've accomplished a task. And then it also makes like when you get back to the work, it it gives you like some more perspective on just like what you're making in general. You know what I mean? You're able to like not focus on it to the point where it becomes a little bit fresh when you look at it again, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I I was definitely I was also in the scenario of like 
my bedroom is my studio. So it's right. like, you go to bed staring at the thing you didn't Dude. make any progress on. And then you wake yeah. up and it's still there. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah. And you're like, fuck. <laughs> yep. yeah. So that's, yeah. That's rough. Yeah. yeah. So in baking, that was really great because um, like making pie is still a very structural and technical thing. And so I, I felt like I did have a, a skill outside of it and that was nice. And um, <laughs> yeah. it, it was that immediate gratification where, you know, every morning I was waking up at the crack of dawn, which also felt good to have like a little bit of a militaristic thing in my life. And yeah. um, mm putting those those pies in and taking them out and having a finished product to show for the end of the day was really mm -hmm. nice. Mm -hmm. But my issue with it was the identity piece. Like I would go to a, and sit down at a bar and they would be like, oh, what do you do? And I'd be like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm a, I'm the worst a question in the I'm world. I'm a baker, I guess. <laughs> yeah, dude, the wor literally yeah. the worst question in the world. Yeah. I hate answering that question. Because then you tell people what you actually do and they're like, well, no, but what do you really do? You know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, dude, yeah. shut up. Yeah. yeah. It's like I, li I live for dishes. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I live what, for dishes. What do I really do? I clean up after your sloppy ass. Yeah. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah, the identity thing is weird. I mean, it's like you go through the whole like, what is an artist that doesn't make art? Right. Like, uh, right. Yeah. I mean, but then a human. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's also the weird thing of having gone to school for this, which always comes with some level of debt. Mm -hmm. Which is like, mm -hmm. if you don't have any debt and you're just making art, maybe you don't feel this like pressure in your chest to True. be the thing that you're True. supposed to be, you know. Um, yeah, if you're not ready to go broke for it, maybe you're not ready. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 just a crazy thing. It's like, man, I already like I put in the time. I definitely got the debt. Like, I'm really not even. <laughs> it's like I, I supposedly also like I'm supposed to like this thing. So like, why right. am I not like? doing it as much as I should or like making the headway that I am. I will say now though, I, I mean, I really love working in kitchens for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's not anything I want to give up at any point soon. Mm -hmm. uh, dishes will always suck. But um, they'll always be there. They will always yeah, yeah. be there. Cooking is sick. <laughs> Cooking generates dishes. Dishes suck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one other thing though, which was also like kind of a fucked up, realization for me was just like on a daily basis people were so happy and immediately appreciative of the cooking mm -hmm. in a way that like i never really got art wise like even right. at a even at a gallery show they're like oh your shit's sick but i'm like all right put up pay up or, <laughs> right, or, right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, just like they're like, oh, it's sick, and then they, you know, they eat the cheese and the wine, and then they leave, and I'm like, okay, cool. But like, I don't know. It's like there's something with the cooking. It's like everyone likes a good meal. It's cheap. It's accessible. Yep. Like, and it gets right. like a real, like a pretty solid reaction out of people. I wouldn't say that it's any less of a reaction than I've ever gotten out of like someone looking at a piece. Right. Yeah, but I, I think that it with cooking you know like everybody's got to eat and <laughs> yeah. i i think that with art making it's really easy to look at it as um decorative yeah. and you know not something that is a necessity right it's very uh you know cooking and eating is very like a it's like a natural human thing right the consumption of art is not inherently natural and yeah. also like people's interpretation of it is always going to be different whereas like you you make like a kind of like objectively good meal people will probably be like 
that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like, well, this is weird. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what does this mean? Like, you didn't yeah. ask that about the chicken. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. of course it means something, but like, right. Take it in like you did the chicken first. So then we'll <laughs> just, talk just about eat it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just eat, eat it, it with your, your eyes and your, the rest of it. But yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a tough one. I mean, it's like the people who make art, like, ideally are devoting like a pretty crazy amount of time effort attention what Mm -hmm. have you to it i mean it's almost like unrealistic to expect any of that effort back Mm -hmm. you know like you you make it out of or at least i make the things i make out of like some sort of compulsion to do so i think right Mm -hmm. like it's like regardless of the circumstances of my life regardless of who's gonna buy it or if i was like locked away in a cave or something like I would probably make the thing anyway hmm. but then it's like regardless you get disappointed by lukewarm feedback or like right you know I mean I, I will say whenever my work is actually in front of a person like physically I, I, it's very rare that people will just gloss it over or like mm-hmm. they, they're not engaged with it in some way but mm-hmm. like uh, for example I mean I fell into this trap once again earlier this week of like the whole Instagram thing, which is a whole nother fucking rabbit hole. Dude, right. But you know, it's like, yeah, man, I've been working on this thing for eight months. Like, let's see like how much, what, like, yeah. yeah, what are people thinking? It's right. Like, <laughs> I've gotten to the point where I hate Instagram so much. I want to burn it to the yeah. ground. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't just want to delete my account. I want everybody's accounts gone. I want, yeah. I want, let's abolish instagram i'm it's done bad. i very rarely even find artists via it anymore or like really yeah. engage myself with their work yeah. first right. of all i mean the screen's like tiny mm-hmm. again it's like a, a huge uphill battle even for someone who loves art to like be engaged with a picture that big that you know is like a few feet wide right right, uh, right totally like it's good for other things i guess like the food world so, you know it's cool to know like who's popping up where who's running this kind of special or whatever you know like Mm -hmm. but it's a different kind of it's even diluted that because of oversaturation of everybody being a food blogger now you know definitely everybody's an art critic everybody's a food blogger like there there is something that was really cool about the fact that you know anybody can do it anybody can see it and be a part of that conversation and now it's Mm -hmm. just fucking annoying because it's burying a lot of really good shit. Yeah. yeah and sure. how are we supposed to find it now? Yeah. Which is funny, <laughs> yeah. like that doesn't happen in like art discussions, for example. Like there's like very few like amateur art lover accounts that post like really <laughs> shitty takes on what are like objectively like pretty good paintings or something, mm-hmm. you know? Like obviously there's like accounts devoted to like watch me mix these colors on a palette. And, like, I'm going to get 64,000 likes every single time I post one of these. Wow. Um, Someone's probably making hundreds of thousands of dollars doing something like that. Yeah. For some reason, they're all, like, in, like, Ukraine, too. (laughs) Like, it's, like, big (laughs) sheets of palette paper. I'm like, hey, you do you. That's sick. Sure. I mean, I'm glad you're you're getting something out of the paint that I'm not, I guess. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I I mean, I do think it's funny. It's, like, there's... um, I was talking to Zach about this. Like, there's mm-hmm. podcasts like 
the dissect podcast for example that's devoted to like music analysis Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. but it's geared towards like everyday listeners there's you know countless food and wine and booze and like general culture magazines but like the art magazines other than things like hypo like hyper allergic or like juxtapose for example are pretty like insular like art community kind of things right yeah um so like on Instagram, like if you see like one of these popular art accounts, it's rarely ever like, I'm just a guy. I don't really know anything about art. Let's discuss Carrie James Marshall. You know? <laughs> it's, it's like which would be refreshing. Like it would be very interesting to see I would love takes that. from like Yeah. But usually what it is, it's like someone who doesn't know that much about art. Let's look at this just like deviant art thing right yeah not to shit on you know whatever but yeah (laughs) yeah there's there's good stuff there's bad stuff but you know i i I know exactly what you're getting at where Mm -hmm. like it you want art to be accessible because you want everybody to enjoy it but you don't want it to be watered down to the point where something that you love so much and something that is such an important part of your life is uh, boiled down to hobbyism. Right. Mm. And I, I feel like that's kind of what that is. Like I, I was always afraid of, of falling into that category of being a hobbyist. And I, I think that that was sort of why I chose to commit to it and go to school for it is because it was like, mm. well, I don't want to mm. just dabble in this. I don't want to, um, just be a person who does this. I want to be this person. Mm-hmm. I understand that that can also be kind of alienating to like people who want to just you know go out and buy some colored pencils or something like that and so i don't know like where is the the balance of wanting people to feel like they can be a part of the conversation surrounding the arts but also protecting that sort of sacred feeling that artists do have with their craft right yeah i mean i always think i don't know like to me as someone who makes things when i look at the things i make i always like know exactly where they sit in terms right, of like right. the how meaningful is it what would be going too far in terms of like uh inferring meaning you know mm-hmm. because it goes both ways it's like i've i sat in on some like mfa critiques which are a fucking nightmare sure. like 75 percent of the time yep. which is like the opposite it's like people who know too much about paintings and then you have like you know, the, someone puts something up on the wall and they, they go, I love your use of like erasure. It really speaks to like blah, blah, blah. I'm like, let's just talk about like what's actually there, you know? Like, right. Um, yeah. Let's be it, human beings yeah, about this. like that middle right, ground. Right. Like, yeah. Like, I obviously everyone should feel free to enter the conversation. Yeah. I mean, I almost feel like it's almost never the problem that people know too little for me. Like, I get mm-hmm. way less annoyed by the yeah. people who know too little, who can then learn a little bit and then decide whether or not they care right? Uh, versus right. the people who know too much and then they turn it into like a, like a research project right. or like, totally. a, you know, a or to like a dick measuring contest, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. I'd, yeah. It's like, it's either like pseudo philosophy, but like without any philosophical rigor or mm-hmm. like pseudo scientific research also without scientific rigor Right. <laughs> or it's the people who actually like can just deal with painting and pictures as painting and pictures. Right. You know, which is like still a special thing, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it is painting and, you know, it's pictures. Right. <laughs> at the end of the right. day, you know. 
Yeah, I know from a music background, my favorite audience is always people that don't play music. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. when I finish something and I want like a genuine reaction, it's like oh, give it to somebody who doesn't know shit about making music yeah. and then just watch them react. That's yeah. what's up, you know? And I feel like you get a, a more like, okay, this is totally working. Like I know what I did there and I know the intent of that note choice or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But someone who doesn't know what that kind of change would actually do is just genuinely reacting to the emotive aspect of it, yeah. right? To me, that's like a super important part of the absorption conversation, you know? Yeah. Like, how does it translate? Well, ask somebody that doesn't know how to do it. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't know, especially, so like for any for any artist who would like maybe get annoyed at the people who know too little, like... I will say, like, I had a homie visiting who plays in bands and stuff. And he was like, oh, like, I play some of my new stuff. And, like, I, I love music. I don't know very much about it, but I do love and appreciate it. Right. And what I think is a pretty, more than, like, just a casual, like, I'm going to put it on a, in the background kind of way. Right. And he put on his music. And, like, at the end, I'm just like, oh, fucking sick. <laughs> you know, like, that was fucking yep. sick. Yep. And it's like. Could I try to articulate beyond that? Sure, I could. Like, is it any more meaningful than me just expressing, like, right. <laughs> simple appreciation? Like, I don't know if that's the case. Right, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I need any more than if somebody was like, that's fucking sick. I'm like, yeah. great, cool. Yeah. That's all I need. Yeah. You know? There was a, a friend of mine who, when we were in school together during Crit, professors got really mad at him because he would say, like, his critique of somebody's piece would be like, oh, that's dope. <laughs> and then just kind of like leave it there and they would be like can you yeah can you say more and he'd be like i mean it's it's dope <laughs> yeah and like that's the point <laughs> and i i feel like that should be more <laughs> acceptable because that is how we communicate you know like normal right, people right. don't i i mean maybe they do but like i don't know i'm i'm not going to express my love for something by describing the dichotomy of the juxtaposition of the bullshit of the bullshit of the bullshit yeah. you know i mean it's like yeah even even if you do come to appreciate those things later the moment you articulate that it's like all the fucking it's not like a chest feeling anymore yeah <laughs> right. and who are you like, articulating all the love is it gone. for <laughs> you know, like, right yeah. right exactly. i mean it's i think for us as people who make things if you like a thing like it is worthwhile to take the time to understand how it runs i guess definitely like what what do you like about it how did they even do this in the first place right what works what doesn't work but i will say even with like my favorite paintings pictures whatever like the moment you kind of know how the sausage is made it's hard to like recapture that initial like right holy fuck like right and it's funny because it hits the same that holy fuck feeling is the same for incredibly complex things and incredibly simple things too. right like, mm-hmm. yeah i mean i know in music i like if i really love a song i won't learn how to play it i don't want to know <laughs> i don't want to try and cover it i don't want to be like oh wow he's only playing that one note there you know what i mean i just like if i love it enough it just stays that way and i just like mm-hmm. i don't i don't dig any deeper because i want that like palpable magic to, to continue to be there yeah, yeah you know sure. i i feel like that's why music feels so special. I I mean, 
obviously music is special for so many reasons, but I don't play it. And that medium mm -hmm. hits me specifically hard. Mm -hmm. Like no other art form makes me feel the way that music does. Like I've never cried to a painting in the way yeah. that I've cried to a song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, like I always think that that would be sick to see someone <laughs> yeah. cry oh my at God. your painting or like- I would cry. <laughs> I've gotten close. There have been a couple times I've gotten pretty close, but like- To making somebody else cry or to crying no, at something? No, cry, crying at something. What mm -hmm. paintings were they? Um, it was back to back. I saw that show of like unfinished masterworks. And then mm. on another floor, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Diane Arbus. Yeah. Diane Arbus. Yeah. So they had like a bunch, I don't know, it was like 70 plus of her photographs, like the original like silver gelatin prints mm. all lined up in this like dark room. It was like a very like well put together exhibition and seeing them back to back to back. Mm -hmm. One, it's like part of it is like, Photography hits me in an interesting way, too, because it's so, like, directly human. Right. Um, it's like, like, that's a person. They might be living. They might be dead. They definitely were living at the time. Like, mm -hmm. it, it has, like, a gravity to me that a lot of pictures maybe don't. And then on top of that, like, seeing 70 of these, like, masterfully crafted photographs back to back is, like, first of all, I couldn't make up an image this compelling. And right. you right. went out in New York and just and found got it. it. Yeah, you just Damn. found it. Which yeah. was so that got me that got me pretty close. I mean, that's awesome. Two of the people I was with at the time were on acid, so that might have been like a <laughs> weird like haloing effect, sure, of like right. loosening my sensibilities. But right, uh, but you were yeah. sober during this experience. I was, yeah, I was sober. Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, that was that was about as close as I can can think. Um, that's so cool. Yeah, but music definitely. I think it's the other thing of like like with photography. It's like very direct human traces. Like mm -hmm. you can be friends with someone and have never seen them draw a picture, never seen them like even hand write something necessarily, but you've probably heard them speak. And I think right. that music captures that. It's like we have an automatic uh, affinity for voices and like a familiarity with voices and it's automatically intimate, you know? Um, right. Especially if someone, it feels like someone's directly addressing you. That doesn't happen like... You know, the person who drew the picture doesn't have to be there. But, like, even if the person isn't there, if you hear their voice entering your ears, it feels more, like, direct to me, I think. It's like an immediate translation of emotion because it's so ingrained in your system is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, like I said, it's like I might not be able to tell you what most of my homies' handwritings look like. Right. So I don't know what they're like. I'm not familiar with their mark making. Right. I'm familiar <laughs> with their voice. And right. like their voice is an automatic like trigger. I think the human voice is just an automatic trigger towards interaction, intimacy, that whole sort of thing versus mm. like seeing the traces of a mark that could be made by an object, a, a person or an animal, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I also think it's really interesting that the piece that moved you was uh, photography because um, I, I feel like especially now during quarantine when we are sort of limited to consuming things online, mm -hmm. uh, we forget that photography is a print medium and um, mm -hmm. it's it's very different. And I'm sure that those were like traditionally darkroom developed yeah. film mm -hmm. and, um, you know, like those photographs translate in person so much differently than they do online. It's just not the same seeing it through a light bulb. Yeah. Uh, also, like, 
in a non-art context, like even the ability to hold a photograph in your hands. Um, mm -hmm. Like, I mean, there's a reason they make like digital printers to connect to your phone to right. print right. those out. Like it, it's automatically more special. I don't yeah. necessarily know why. You could talk about the aura or whatever, but right. like, it's it's just automatically something more precious if it becomes an object that can, I guess, someday be destroyed or lost. Right, or yeah. it's something that you can physically like hold on to and say like, oh, this is like my photo. You know what I mean? Like I printed this because it means something to me, and now I can actually like hold it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like show it to people. Yeah, you know, it's not just yeah. a nebulous thing right. in the rectangle. Right, right. It doesn't exist just in the memory of your phone, but it can actually exist as like a physical memory. Well, that's. I think that's part of the reason why I work from like mm. photos in the way that I do. It's like for for a while I did when I first was like experimenting with like making art as opposed to illustration in like a very earnest way i was like i like took a a photo would like repurpose it use it for art purposes as a drawing and then like destroy any digital files that existed of that photo and then destroy mm. the physical photo Hell so yeah. the only thing that existed was like this like repurposed form um it's the only trace of the memory i guess which that's super cool I did, uh, yeah, I did that for a time. I, I've stopped doing it since then just because I like holding on to these things. Right, <laughs> uh, right. I found out later on. But, <laughs> yeah, you're um, like, damn it. Yeah, but I think, I do think part of it is is that. It's like the, I think we all have like shorter memories now and like, um, right. you know, maybe a less vivid memory too. I mean, especially when you think of like how consumed you can be with like uh, taking photos of an event or something as opposed right. to experiencing that you're not it. There. Yeah. Like, I don't know. You, you end up with the documentation, but no really like vivid right. memories of your own. So the document becomes yeah. very important. Right. Um, and so that's why I kind of zero in on these things uh, right. for the paintings. Working in live music, the amount of times that I've seen people watching a show through their phone is baffling to me. Yeah. It's like, dude, you're here, man. Yeah, it's yeah. like, just like check it out. If you, you know? wanna you could probably find a video of this on YouTube later. Yeah, for but sure. it's like someone will be filming it for it's sure. Like right it, they're like looking the phone is so close to their eyes that they're looking at the whole show through the phone. It's like some weird like I don't know. It's strange. <laughs> yeah. So I keep going back and forth with like a love hate thing with my sketchbook. It's where I go when I don't really know what to do next because mm, there mm -hmm. is zero pressure. Um, and there have been long periods of time where my sketchbook is attached to me and I always have it out and I'm like using it pretty much in the same way that people have been using their phones of like, I'm, I'm here, therefore I'm sketching. Dope. And um, when I go back to those sketchbooks, I remember those days so vividly right? because while you're making something, you sort of absorb it differently. Mm -hmm. When I write in my journal, and I, I can even go through my day journaling, and it still doesn't translate as directly as when I'm like in my sketchbook. I don't know. It's some type of sensory thing of just absorbing something differently. Well, you're probably looking at everything differently at that point. I mean, it probably also, it gives you like a little anchor point to remember. It's like, oh, like when oh, I was yeah. working on this, ear like this mother and 
child like walked by and the child was screaming or so you know it's like you you have like a very concrete task in front of you and then you can relate it to like all the peripheral stuff i can't remember the last time i like sketchbooked like had a <laughs> kept a sketchbook and used it i almost I, i've always felt like it's more pressure oh for really some reason i don't know maybe it's like a weird generational holdover from my dad only ever drawing on like junk mail and then throwing it out but like mm, if i'm mm. for me it's like if i'm gonna make a draw like i draw on like post-it notes and shit but i always like toss them mm. um and then i like buckle down and will draw like for months on one thing that yeah. i intend on keeping right uh, yeah but the sketchbooks it's like i don't know i the blank page really freaks me out. And then I'm like, am I going to put multiple things on this page or just one thing? Like, am I going to like write some yeah. shit? It never became comfortable for me. I started enjoying it more when I would finish a painting and I would still have paint left on my palette and I didn't want to waste the paint and just throw it away. And so I would just sort of like smear it over a couple of pages and then some of the pages would dry together and pulling it apart would create these cool textures and stuff. And so that was when I liked sketchbooking, when I had something that was already kind of pre-primed for me to put something on top of it mm. instead of that blank page because it is super daunting. Yeah. Mm. I mean, Krista is a fucking Dude, animal insane. In, a, in the sketchbook. Absolutely it, it is insane. unreal. And yeah, she, I mean, she's also incredible at not ever wasting paint <laughs> yep <laughs> making that sure too. she repurposes it yeah yeah I, I do think that it is really interesting that um sketchbooking was heavily stressed in our education and i think mm. that i i think that instead of stressing sketchbooking it should just be stressing some sort of like personal practice because it doesn't have to be sketchbooking it can be writing on a post-it note or on junk mail or yeah, on for sure however you need to get it out yeah, I mean, I 100% whenever there was like a sketchbooking portion of a curriculum, I would just right. do it all in one day yeah. <laughs> sitting. Yeah, Like right. there was never an instance where I'm like, I'm going to bring this out and like look look at things and then draw it. And like, yeah. no, I was just, like, I immediately wrote it off in my head. I'm like, that sounds terrible <laughs> like i'm just gonna just fill this thing with drawings over the course of the next 11 hours and then yep. be done with it yeah <laughs> yeah so for the like inktober me dom victoria zach kramer and caitlin that whole crew we did uh illtober where we do an illustration every day for the month of october and mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure dom is the only buddy only person who did it every day but um we didn't want to confine ourselves to just ink. And so we did Illtober, obviously, illustrations. But um, I did them in my sketchbook one year. And um, the following year, I did them all on just like six by eight pieces of paper. And then I sold all of them afterwards. Mm -hmm. And so I stopped working in my sketchbook after that because I was like, okay, if this is not connected or bound in a book, I can right. then sell it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Why am I gonna put this? In a, why am <laughs> yeah. I gonna bind this to me when I can make money off of it? Yeah, for sure. Which sounds terrible, but yeah, I mean, we went to school, I guess, with the expectation that we're gonna be making money doing this, right? In the right. future, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think once I once I uh, started working in kitchens, I kind of yeah, like I said, completely 
stopped caring about the art money connection. Like I still do, yeah, like I said, I still do some freelance work here and there. Um, mm-hmm. But it's only like I don't advertise it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, I rarely ever even post it. It's usually just like if someone connected to like a restaurant in the city or something approaches me and they need illustrations, like I'll do it. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't like go looking for illustration jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I think that that's something that sort of keeps you and your work honest. Right. You know, you're not just doing it for an identity, for something, for some money or it's, you know, it is for you. Yeah. I mean, some people are very good at like making the professional work their actual practice. Like it really right. goes mm-hmm. hand in hand. Right. Part of it is really just I hate talking to clients. Like, it's usually <laughs> yeah. terrible. It's slightly yeah. less terrible when I know the person and I can meet with them in person or something. Mm. Right. But every time I've had to deal with someone who like I don't have a like a personal connection with outside of that client uh, basis, like it, mm-hmm. it's very consistently terrible. <laughs> so I was, yeah, no. Yeah, I'm very much the same thing. It's like if I make music, I don't want to talk to you about it. I just, <laughs> just check it out. You know what I mean? Just listen to it. If you dig it, that's sick. If you don't, that's also sick. Like whatever, you know, I just like, I don't want to have to sell it after I do it. I just want the thing to sell itself. You know what I mean? Just like yeah. put it out there, get the vibes and then I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a, I'm not a self salesperson, which like is also a massive part of the music industry, uh, especially when it's become so connected with a physical persona. Yeah. That's a weird thing of like, Nowadays, I feel like you as a person have to be as marketable as your work. Yeah, dude. As well. I no, you it. don't have to be, but I mean, it but it, it sells better. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> You're easier uh, to sell when you are your art. Yeah. Right. People want people want to invest in a personality that also makes cool shit. Yeah. And like, I don't know, man. The I, I think the only thing cool about me is the stuff that I make. You know, like. <laughs> I don't have anything to sell about myself. Just like, look at the stuff. (laughs) Just check it out. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So you said that when you moved to to Philly, you didn't um, really know anybody or anything. Have you since built a little community for yourself? Are you still kind of just doing your thing? I have, yeah. I mean, it's mostly restaurant-based. Yeah. I don't... Same. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't really have painter friends or like artist friends really mm-hmm. i mean yeah i i would like go to openings and stuff and like talk to people but it, it's like realistically speaking a lot of it i just didn't find that interesting mm-hmm. um or like if if i found the person interesting that's all well and good and i'll stuff you know I'll hang out with them but like not in like an art community kind of way more yeah. in just like, I like you as a person, but like, well, let's not talk about the things we make. Right. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But it's a lot of, it's a lot of restaurant industry people. I mean, um, yeah, like I said, a lot of my client base for the little bit of uh, work that I do that's freelance is uh, restaurant workers. So you end up like, doing an illustration and then they'll give you like some hot sauce or something and then you you know you trade things i don't know i think i mean the hospitality industry is obviously very hospitable 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. the community forms itself around you almost whether you want to or not want it to right. or not like yeah. just by the merit of you being there for long enough it's a special special industry yeah. and i have had many crises working in restaurants and bakeries and cafes thinking like fuck do i just want to do this like, it's this sick because nice. also i mean everyone kind of does something else too right yeah. they usually do it kind of well like right <laughs> yeah know, totally like, man like a lot of my tattoos were done by like our ex dishwasher who was like a professional tattoo artist in belarus before he moved here right. and then like our other dishwasher was like a professional woodworker who makes these beautiful jewelry boxes my boss she's like an ex-academic who opened a restaurant does some cooking but she just got like a crocheted like fiber art piece into like a show at field projects like That's so cool. Hell yeah. Which she only really started doing recently. Like the restaurant industry is full of like a strange assortment of like miscellaneously talented people. I mean, I, I feel like if you don't work in the industry, you don't realize it. But it's a lot of people that are just there because it's like, this is what I can do right now. Yeah. But what I really do, this kind of like supports that and gives me the freedom, you know? Yeah. I feel like people on the outside just who have never worked in the food industry they just don't they just don't get it <laughs> yeah know? yeah sure. really teaches you how to take your licks and keep on going too because <laughs> yeah. you're gonna eat shit all day if you're yeah, working in the yeah, industry for sure. i mean whether it's a really great place to work or not it's just the gig you know yeah so i feel like that also has translated over nicely into the the other avenue of my life where i also eat shit which is music <laughs> <laughs> yeah I will say, I mean, if, if anyone out there is doing the whole starving artist thing, like get a dishwashing gig, they will fucking feed you. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and then you stay there long enough, they'll love you. They love right. the fact that they don't have to do the dishes. That was my mm -hmm. favorite part of the job, man. <laughs> yeah. I could do that Dish shit life. all day. Oh my God. I had, this is completely, I had a, a like a dream the other day that I was sitting in a bar, right? And like <laughs> okay. a dude walks up next to me. And it's like this Japanese dude wearing a suit made out of like the green like Brillo pad scrubbies. <laughs> and, I, and I saw him. And in the dream, I just started like crying. Tears oh of, but it was like tears of joy. It was what? really, I, I woke up very confused. <laughs> that is wild. Yeah, I was, it felt wow. like I saw the Brillo man appear in front of me. <laughs> and it was just like, yes, everything is going to be all right now. That's like some crazy David Lynch shit. Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. <laughs> wow, I yeah. love that. Yeah, well, I don't know oh, how man. you get back on track after that one. Well, but, yeah. I, I guess <laughs> my question is like, um, speaking of dreams, some of the initial ideas, do they ever come from dream states or anything like that? Or Generally, no. Generally, I definitely no. have yeah. had a couple times where I like will wake up knowing I have this idea and I mm -hmm. write it down. I'm like, I have to do this eventually so at some point down the line <laughs> right right uh usually no usually it, like i say i, I compile a, a picture of images as well as like words mm -hmm. but i think it's usually the text that does it for me mm. like i'll be like reading through a book and yeah if one sentence like is just like perfect to me for whatever reason I, that's what really like gets my brain going it's like all right what fits this kind of category of thinking like what image pairing would be right. interesting right um whether it's uh cohesive or or a little bit more like 
disparate sorts of ideas butting up against another. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know that it's dreams usually. It's usually other people's mm-hmm. media, other people's, the things other people have made. Yeah, Work like, inspired by other work. Yeah. 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 Like direct uh, rips from a part of, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Sick. Uh, you had mentioned before, like when you were in the museum that your friends were on acid and it just made me wonder, like, do you ever use substance as a means to 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 help you get into a creative state or like have you ever um creative state probably not Mm. i enjoy like taking a second look at things Mm. maybe Mm -hmm. i mean i i mean i'm i drink while working like sure always um yeah (laughs) which i i think definitely counts uh, oh, definitely. Right, yeah. right. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's a significant thing. But like the whole like, yeah, psychedelics and then making things. I've tried. It feels like actively bad to me. <laughs> like I like I was like Whoa. tripping in whatever, like the park in Montreal, like the Montreal, mm-hmm. like just sitting there. It was beautiful, beautiful day. And I mm-hmm. had the sketchbook and I like the moment I started trying to draw <laughs> I was just like, oh, this feels bad. Like, this is, why am I even doing this? <laughs> yeah. I just, like, laid down. You know, it's like, yeah. I, I don't really have that impulse, I feel like. Usually. Yeah. I think it's such a funny stereotype because I stopped smoking weed for a time to make sure that I could still stop smoking weed for a time. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was talking to my therapist about it, and I was like, yeah, stop smoking weed, and I'm, like, having trouble making things and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, well, does does marijuana help you get into a creative state? And it was so nice that she asked me that, but the answer is no. And any time that I was like, oh, like I'm going to take a toke and then I'm going to go paint. I always take a toke and then I never go and paint. And it just, I I feel like the stereotype of artists dropping acid and being high all the time and being drunk all the time and like making their work in these altered states is such a, falsehood yeah right for them i mean obviously there are some people that do do that but most of the people that i know are not of that breed yeah Mm. i mean i feel like the people i know who like get high to make things are also just generally high (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah like like, that's the baseline get high to live their life and then they also happen to be making something right right um like that's their ground zero stationary yeah Baseline. i yeah. can't i can't draw if i'm high it's terrible I, can't either. I like it's like almost like that feeling where you're like trying to figure out what word you mean and you can't for the life of you remember it i get right. that but like the entire time i'm drawing and it's oh, just damn. not enjoyable also yeah. like because yeah. the whole dot work thing moves so slow it moves way slower when you're high. I'm just like, I can, you know, I'll read a book, whatever. I'm not going to fucking sit at a desk. How long does it usually take you to to finish one of those larger pieces? One of the first pieces I did when I was in school, it was like, I think, 12 by 18, something like that. It's mm-hmm. like 120 hours. Damn. Like, I'm working on a drawing right now. I don't know. Maybe you can see. So this guy. Right? Yep. So this is interesting because I normally do like a whole line drawing first okay. and do all the tonal stuff uh, within that. But in this case, I'm doing it row by row. Um, wow. I, 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 I don't know. Normally, I don't work that way, but I just decided to try it. 
the rows on this are like a half inch tall and then like whatever this is probably like a foot wide mm-hmm. and each row takes me 45 minutes to an hour damn wow have you been enjoying working yeah. that way um it's not that different to be honest i mean mm-hmm. it helps actually I mean, this isn't really a habit that I have to deal with anymore, but it's a habit that a lot of people do have where they, I mean, the common thing is like you draw your idea of a thing as opposed to what the thing actually looks like. Right, but, right. Um, when you're working row by row, that can't happen really because you're right. not working on drawing a hand. You're just working on drawing a row. So you're just matching right. tones and where they fall on that row, mm. um, which is interesting. I don't know. We'll see. Like once this is fully done, I'll really know how it kind of changes like the way the shapes are made and stuff. Like I can already tell there's a little bit more distortion um, than if I were actually to just draft it out and kind of like fill it in traditionally. Because right. um, mm-hmm. like the the thing with the whole dot work thing is like it moves really slow, but if you want something to look a certain way, you're going to get it to look that way. Like you're not mm-hmm. making like, oh, that line slipped or something. It's like, okay, yeah, I can proceed with this thumb. This thumb will take me the next 40 minutes. <laughs> so, right, like, right. you know, it develops pretty much exactly how I want it to. But mm-hmm. working row by row, it's like there's some weird distortion happening with the shapes and stuff that I think is interesting. Um, Do you have plans for the drawing after the uh, dot work? I think these... So I bought a, a fuck ton of newsprint. Mm-hmm. Like, I bought... What is it? Like a couple thousand sheets for like Holy shit. eighty bucks or something. So I was yeah. I was drawing on like BFK Reeves three hundred gram. It was like eight dollars a sheet. Yeah. This comes out to eight cents a sheet. Obviously it's not at nearly as nice of paper, but like it has qualities that I really like. I mean it crumples really nicely. You can get interesting textures via the crumpling, which I I was mm-hmm. doing with the BFK also. Um, these, I think I'm going to leave just dots on newsprint. Um, mm. so I combine a lot of like text and image, but also image and image. Mm-hmm. And I was toying around with, um, taking multiple drawings and arranging them on like, a like a cork board mm-hmm. as like almost like an alternative, like framing or display method. Um, mm. so you end up with like all these things that kind of look like newspaper cutouts or something, right? but it's one cohesive piece, but every element is hand-drawn. Um, That's so cool. Yeah. My, dad, my dad's been like a newspaper carrier like since before I was born. So I spent a lot of time in like newspaper warehouses when I was a kid. Cool. Um, and I think like this, I don't know. I think it's this is an interesting way of going about making and displaying the images because it has this like weird, almost autobiographical kind of mm. bent mm-hmm. to it. Like, mm-hmm beyond just like buying a frame and displaying it that way or doing a drawing on a panel which like is cool but like you can buy these frames or panels at blick or any art store in the world Mm -hmm. and they're not really specific to me um Mm -hmm. so this is like kind of a way of like making the materials have i guess or carry some level of like weight in terms of content and not have it just be the drawing i love that yeah i feel like a lot of people are obsessed with uh, like the archivalness of mm-hmm. something. And if you're talking about something that's time-based, 
that definitely gives it an element of time where that newsprint is going to yellow and it's going to age, but that there's something super cool about that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, even over the course of doing this drawing, like I'm working on a fairly, I mean, it's a pretty much uh, 18 by 24 sheet of paper mm -hmm. uh, folded in half and then in half again. Um, so I'm only working on like one quarter of the sheet at a time. So the quarter that I'm working on is already yellowed pretty significantly just from being in the sun That's uh, awesome. because things uh, go slow. Uh, but then like <laughs> the flip side of it is like pre pretty much pristine, well, pristine newsprint. So it's great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so right. That, yeah, that's interesting. Like by the time I move on to the next segment of the drawing, I'll already have like different levels of discoloration throughout just the one sheet, That's um, which isn't cool. something you get through the BFK. Hmm. Would you would you preserve it when you finish it, you know, or you just leave it as is and let it let it kind of age naturally? I'd probably leave it as is. I mean, yeah, I understand why people go the archival route. Sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, realistically speaking, like no one with archival intentions is interested in my work right now. Um, so I'm just going <laughs> to like do it on the materials I have, see how they change over time. I mean, like. Like I said, rips, tears, stains, like I kind of welcome all of it. I don't really, mm. uh, you know, I mean, they're very, they're effort filled drawings and they take a lot of time, but I, I like to see what life kind of throws at them after the fact. Mm -hmm. uh, it goes back to the idea of like you draw on like uh, a sketchbook page that already has a little bit of paint on it and like some smudging and smearing. Like mm -hmm. it gives you something to respond to other than like right. the pristine page. So, as the thing yellows, as you know, different segments change or rip or something, it's like a constant dialogue, which already happens ideally in any art making endeavor, but like this kind of forces it. Yeah, even the surface is like a very like active, mm -hmm. it plays an active role in like informing my decisions. I saw a video of you burning some piece of work hmm. as part of the work, yeah? Yeah, yeah. With the newsprint, there's like an aging process that's maybe a little unpredictable same thing with like burning a piece to make it look a certain way yeah for sure do you like the unpredictable aspects of work or yeah because it's like it, it's like um I, I think the best moments of my work usually happen when there's a mistake that's been made or like an issue that i have with it that needs to be fixed mm -hmm. like i'm kind of at the point where it's like if i want to just like if i want to just execute the picture i can execute the picture like right, i'm not right. like, realistically speaking i won't really run into any issues like i've kind of got that side of things kind of dialed in mm -hmm. so like introducing sort of unexpected elements or like being open to like being more loose and like maybe getting sloppy in a in a portion and making a mistake in order mm. to like then have to go back and fix it later yeah, I think that's that's always um, something I, I actively strive for at this point. Very cool. Was there something that helped you access that? I think initially it kind of started as like a kind of a way to get a rise out of people. Like, so <laughs> cool. like during thesis at MassArt, I had like a couple pieces working and I was working on this like 24 by 36 big stippled thing. I got... I don't know, like a quarter, a third of the way through it. And I just like ditched it, you know? Mm, and it's mm -hmm. like, because of the way the studio is set up, everyone's kind of like 
you know, they get to walk by and they see the thing progress over time. And I'd been working on it for a while. And, but I was like realizing, I was like, oh man, I'm like a third of the way there. And I'm still fighting an uphill battle in terms of like how this thing is even composed, what it actually, like how it's going to read as a final image. Like there's too many right. problems in the early stages for it to be a viable illustration. And so I scrapped it. I mean, I didn't think it was that big a deal. I definitely knew in my head, like, oh, people are going to be like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? And, you know, it's like even professors were like, you know, like, why? Like, couldn't you just like, you've worked on it for so long. Like, we only have like X amount of weeks left. And so I kind of did that partially, like I said, like, I thought it was kind of funny that people cared, <laughs> like, you know, right. focus on your own shit. But then, yeah. <laughs> but then it was also like, okay, like, it's kind of like you taking a break from weed. It's like, that's reassuring to know that this isn't like an incredibly precious thing. Yeah. Right. Like it's reassuring, right. you know, I put a lot of time into it, but I'm also conscious enough and confident enough to know when things won't work. Down mm. right or like totally. probably won't work down the line um so yeah i think that definitely helped because it was like okay we're like wrapping up the the school year like the semester or whatever it's kind of crunch time but like i still had it in me to like all right we're gonna put this on the shelf and like start something new mm-hmm. yeah. beyond that it's like um uh when i moved to philly i had a bunch of old work that i was like you know just like little stippling tests you know technique right. stuff whatever i mean they were still interesting images but it was like so I, I tore a bunch of them up and started the whole like collage aspect i guess of mm-hmm. my practice mm-hmm. maybe using those pieces of an old drawing to cover up a mistake or something or like if i spilled some ink i would i would uh, take a piece of an old drawing and, and place it over top mm-hmm. um yeah i think just like taking a more pragmatic approach to like making the thing, making it in a sort of like ramshackle sort of like way, like just use whatever you have around to like fix the problem, I guess. Mm-hmm. Kind of open things up for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's so cool. And like trusting yourself that you can solve a problem that you create in disregarding its preciousness. Yeah, yeah. And then also knowing like if you can't solve the problem, well, you know, we'll figure out something See else See you to later. Do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Then it'll get used later on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A couple years down the line. I think... That's the other thing too. It's like stretching out uh, the amount of time in which I can like consider a work of art viable. You know, it's right? Like, totally. Even if it sits on the shelf for like what's now three or four years, you know, mm-hmm. it can always come back later. And like, you know, like that that piece I was talking about that was like in a show in 2017, and I thought it was finished. Like I revamped it like maybe six months ago, and now I think it's one of my strongest in the lineup I have right now. Dope. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think that's always helpful. Like you got to figure out what your time scale is, which isn't really something that can happen if all the work you're making is in like a freelance kind of capacity because your deadline isn't your deadline. It's someone else's deadline. Right. But right. in this regard, you know, I figured out if it takes eight months, 12 months, two years, I can make that happen yeah. and be fine. You've got the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. I've got the rest yeah. of my life to make five paintings (laughs) yeah do you uh do you have anything on the on the horizon are you sort of just kind of day by day no i mean the the five paintings thing is actually kind of a joke but like not really like my my goal right now is always to have like a rotating lineup of five paintings that i think Mm. i could like use as the foundation for like a solo show 
or something. Five paintings that I have no problems with. I have no edits I want to be making. Right. Um, so that's kind of like the way I've been conducting my practice. So that like at any moment, like, I don't know, I've, I've been talking to homies about like maybe doing a group show and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like having an automatic five that, that I would put forward for submission at any point in time, I think is really helpful. Yeah. Um, cause it's not me scrambling to figure out like, what's my lineup, which pieces go together. It's right. always like, okay, I'm always making a continuous series of work that always kind of goes together. But also I think part of why I'm like not really gunning for submitting right now is like, I do think openings are a big part of the whole gallery exhibition Definitely. thing. Like people go to the, to the other days, but like the big one is the opening or the closing. And, and I think like, most of the shows I've seen in the past few years were because I was there on the opening. It's kind of rare. I catch a show like, Oh, it's we're you know, a month and a half in and I'll, I'll catch it on like the Wednesday viewing hours from like nine to three or something like that, you know? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So like for as long as like that social element, uh, isn't present, like I'm not super, (laughs) super motivated to be, uh, exhibiting, uh, anything Mm. anytime soon. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, it's it feels sustainable in the long run for me. It's right. Like, totally. It feels yeah. like okay, maybe the threshold at some point will pass into like I want ten pieces on the lineup right. at all times. Right. Um. But like, just to know, like, okay, this is like, yeah, this is like my benchmark for myself, and this being the benchmark for myself also makes it pretty flexible for me to submit to other places or whatever. Right. You know, right. I, th- I, th- I think it's a good spot to be in. Sweet. Yep. Yeah. Well, uh, we usually end this with asking everybody the same question of uh, recommending three living artists that we could share the love to, somebody that could be supported or that we could talk to or that people should look at. So okay. any medium, any anything. Uh, number one would be Zach Kamisic. Uh He's oh. the homie. I mean, we... I feel like my this period of my artistic practice really started in earnest because I spent that period of time living with him. He mm. makes fantastic oil paintings. He's working yeah. on some 3D printed works wow. uh, right now that I, I think are are pretty interesting and couple with the paintings really well. And if you have seen my work or get a chance to see my work, our works kind of developed in tandem. Um, so that oh, could that's be super a, cool. a, an interesting uh, experience. Uh, beyond that, I mean, we already mentioned Krista. I'm going to shout out Krista again. Hell Krista yeah. has like no misses. I don't think yeah. <laughs> like her sketchbook yeah. is hit after hit after hit. Even the stuff she thinks is weak is probably pretty, pretty fucking strong. Fantastic, fantastic hand lettering, incredible sense of humor. Um, yeah, she's kind of like the Michael Jordan of all, all the th- things that she does. Yeah, she's, oh, she's just really good. Damn. Yeah, incredible yeah, figures. She's great with a brush great with the color like what's her full name krista perry krista perry yeah cool um hell yeah Ooh, number three that's a tough one i don't know i spent a lot of time looking at books full of dead people <laughs> and, and dead people's work yeah so that's kind of hard well, it can um, be anything it can be directors it can be yeah, musicians music. so this is he's he's on the older side of things uh peter sheldahl is uh, a longtime art critic for the New York Times. Uh, oh, 
I have a compilation of his... His writings. Yeah. So he recently put out a, a piece called The Art of Dying that talks about his cancer diagnosis. That's incredible. Uh, everyone Damn. should read that. Uh, but also his art criticism, I think, is probably the best I've read. Uh, really because good. he comes from a place of like having a certain level of that. I don't even want to call it academic knowledge because he didn't like he's like a college dropout. He mm-hmm. didn't like go to school for this, but like lived experience around art speaks very much from the heart in regards to his experiences about art, but is also knowledgeable enough to like draw interesting conclusions about the art that he's writing about. And I think um, for anyone who's like disillusioned about the art reading or art writing that they have been reading recently, especially like in academia, they can get pretty mm-hmm. dry. Uh, mm-hmm. Peter Sheldahl mm-hmm. is an, a pretty incredible place to start for like yeah. rekindling your own love of art and how to talk about it. It's very accessible too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's okay. super cool. I've never read any of his stuff. I'll yeah. Have to do uh, that. It's it's all on yeah. I mean a lot of it's on the New York Times website. So gotcha. Yeah, you can just peep a couple articles per month or however they allot you uh, <laughs> right, yeah. for yeah, free. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> or you could just open an incognito tab yeah, and yeah. skirt your way around that completely. Yeah. <laughs> oh word. Yeah. yeah. Or right. uh, I found out uh, outline.com. Ooh, works okay. for websites where incognito doesn't, which New York okay. Times recently for some browsers has stopped working. So oh, if you shit. go like outline.com and then do a, a slash and then just paste the URL for whatever um, you're trying to look at, it'll give yes. you, it'll bypass the uh, paywall. And yes. then you can look at all of the New York Times recipes or uh, <laughs> critical writings that you want. Damn, that is some yeah. knowledge See, right there. Not all techies are bad. Yeah. You know, sometimes <laughs> yeah. they're looking out for you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, cool, man. This was so great. Yeah, yeah sincerely yeah. appreciated. Really cool. Yeah, this was and really, cool. really awesome work, too. I really love uh, it. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to episode 8 of The Seedcast, featuring artist and illustrator Ariel Tobing. For more information about our show and our guests, both previous and upcoming, please follow us at The Seedcast on Instagram or email us at casttheseed at gmail.com. Coming up next week, we sit down with musician Phil Jameson of the band Caspian. Stay tuned in.